and our reserves are naturally lower as neurodiverse people. Like our, I think that our cups, we can fill our cups, but maybe our cups aren't as big. Like I might be working with like an eight ounce mug versus another nurse that might be able to work with like a liter bottle. Like, you know, our, both our cups are full, but I need to fill mine more frequently. Hello and welcome to the Women and ADHD podcast. I'm your host, Katie Weber. I was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 45, and it completely turned my world upside down. I've been looking back at so much of my life, school, jobs, my relationships, all of it with this new lens, and it has been nothing short of overwhelming. I quickly discovered I was not the only woman to have this experience, and now I interview other women who, like me, discovered in adulthood they have ADHD and are finally feeling like they understand who they are and how to best lean into their strengths, both professionally and personally. I'd like to share with you this review from the Apple podcast platform in Ireland from a listener called Alana C. It's entitled, These Podcasts Are an Eye-Opener. I've started listening to Katie's podcast while randomly searching for any helpful podcast on how to deal with anxiety and such. I've started doing research the past few months on how ADHD can affect women thanks to TikTok. As I feel on some level it's relatable to me, even though I'm not officially diagnosed yet, but I plan to be in the near future. Even though some of the guests that she has interviewed are all high achieving and highly professional, after listening to their experiences, I have had the quote, penny has dropped moment. I'm really enjoying listening to these podcasts and feel I'm getting some clarity and understanding from listening to them as they are also very informative with links to her website, helpful resources, and the interviewee's resources too. Well, that was just lovely. Thank you so much for that feedback, Alana C. I love that this podcast has been a helpful resource in your own journey, and I love that you're able to relate to these conversations. And I also just freaking love that we are a global community of women who are finding each other and supporting each other. This is by far the kindest, most accepting group of people I have ever encountered, and I'm so glad we found each other. And if you are looking to connect with other amazing like-minded women with ADHD, make sure to join us in the Women and ADHD online community. Simply head over to womenandadhd.com. And of course, there is a link to that in the show notes. And full disclosure, in order to keep the community small and safe and friendly, we do charge a small fee to join. But if you'd like to join and that fee is prohibiting you from doing so, please reach out to me via email. You'll find that in the show notes as well. Okay, here we are at episode 79, in which I interview Casey Lee Flood. Casey Lee is a registered nurse and a holistic health and wellness nurse coach. Her company, Nourish the Nurturer, supports other nurses and caregivers with their sustainable self-care. If you work in healthcare or you are in a caretaking profession, you definitely want to listen to this episode. We talk all about burnout in its many forms, as well as why so many nurses and healthcare professionals tend to be neurodivergent. We also talk about sensory overwhelm and its relationship to the diagnosis of depression. And Casey Lee also describes her experience of receiving a dual diagnosis of ADHD and autism last year, and how that diagnosis has provided her not only with clarity in her personal life and her own medical treatment, but also with how she experiences the world and how she is better able to help her clients. I really loved hearing her perspective, and I know you will too. Enjoy. All right. So you were relatively recently diagnosed and I actually, those are some of my favorite guests because I just feel like when you're in the middle of just that profound sense of, of self-discovery, it's, it's, I just find it so amazing. And I always feel like that's such a, it's such an incredible time. I like to relive it 
as you know, I, I've only been diagnosed like a year and a half. So I'm talking like I've been diagnosed for decades, but sometimes it feels that way when you have ADHD. I like to say, right? A year in ADHD mm. terms is like a decade. Um, so, so why don't you walk me through it? Kind of what was going on in your life? Um, because you were not only diagnosed with ADHD, but also ASD, autism spectrum disorder. So why don't you kind of walk me through what was happening that kind of led you up to thinking I should really look into this? Yeah. So kind of, so I've been in and out of like mental health care since I was 18. So my first diagnosis was bipolar two, which is like the mini bipolar is how I always describe it to Mm -hmm. people. And then of course, depression, anxiety, um, manic depression, like a couple of different things followed on and off through that time. Um, antidepressants never really worked. Mood stabilizers, meh. I went like 10 years without any medication and just using more holistic treatments, which when I met my most recent therapist, that was like a thing for her. She's like, wait a minute, you're obvious, you know, typically people with that condition really need support. So she actually, and you know, and even before that, let me go back a, a, a little bit here. 2020 happened. So like intuitively, like this whole time I kind of knew, right. Something isn't adding up, but then 2020 happened. And then right at the beginning of COVID, I had an asthma exacerbation. And, you know, if you sneezed or coughed, you couldn't do anything as a nurse at that time, they just would not let you go to work. So I was home for three months and I was on TikTok. And of course I ended up on mental health TikTok. And I started seeing all these ADHD and autism spectrum and women with these presentations that even as a nurse, I didn't know were really a thing, Mm. you know, especially as a nurse that works with people on the autism spectrum with other comorbidities. I always had this mindset, right? Very limited view. So, you know, I had to sit with it for a while, not wanting to like armchair diagnose myself, not wanting to over identify and not wanting to try to enter a space where I have no right being. That was my biggest concern. And even where I'm having like some hesitation today is I'm like, Oh, golly, that's right. Like here I am talking, functioning, like, and I'm, you know, the best. So it came to me through the pandemic through TikTok, but then I went to actual diagnostic testing. And then when I met my therapist, even without me really prompting her, she said, we should really like do a whole reevaluation of where you're at. So she did, and she went through the ADHD questionnaire, the ASD questionnaire, depression, and like the whole gamut, like three or I think three sessions, three one-hour sessions. We went just through diagnostic criteria for the first time since I was 18, and I'm 35. So um, yeah, I've only been diagnosed like four or five months. And it really, wow. Yeah. Sounds like you hit the jackpot with your therapist. <laughs> you know, I was looking at, because I live in Hawaii, and this, the resources are limited to say the least. And I, I kept looking and I didn't see anyone, didn't see anyone. It's, you know what, this is my last ditch effort. I'm going to try one more time. I'm going to look. And she was there and she told me that she was always listed, but I didn't see her. So it was just meant to be. And I, I really did hit the jackpot because I was, a, my other idea was to go through grasp organization on the mainland and get diagnosed, but that would have been probably close to a thousand dollars to get the dual diagnosis. So mm. I really did get, and that's with funding and subsidies. Like that's the cost effective one out of pocket, sadly. So, you know, my, I was very, very happy to find a good therapist. 
Yeah. Right. I know. I, I have often said on this podcast, like my experience was so positive in terms of my diagnosis and I feel so grateful because I have heard so many stories of women just time and time again, going back. And, you know, granted I did have a long history like you of kind of this diagnosis of, of depression and anxiety and never really feeling like the antidepressants were working. And, you know, a lot of that similarity and sort of feeling like it, nobody ever said to me, like, wait a minute, you know, they should be working. <laughs> the the antidepressants yeah. should be working, you know, like maybe, maybe, um, you know, instead I, I was met with a lot of that, like, well, let's up the dose, let's up the dose, let's add in something else. Right. And, um, and you just kind of, I think you kind of get trapped in that cycle. Yeah. And it's easy to do that. Yeah. Right. Um, so to have somebody kind of see the, the big picture that way with you, I think is so important when you're in that journey. So now what happened, um, so you're working as a nurse, but you were on mm-hmm. leave and you're kind of going through the, this diagnostic process. What happened, what were some of the like revelations looking back over the course of your life being like, oh yeah. Okay. I get it. Yeah. The signs were always there. <laughs> yeah. So one of the main things I remembered was as a kid, just homework being this horrible, horrible experience. And my parents are amazing. And they did, they did everything they could. Right. But they, they didn't really know what to do with me. Yelling at me was too much. I cried because the reduction sensitivity. Right. So it's like, they couldn't discipline me really. So my stepmom, I remember one day she was just probably at her wits end. I don't know. And she just said, here's a roll of toilet paper. Cause I was crying. She's like, you're either going to finish your homework first or finish this roll of toilet paper first. Because, you know, <laughs> she's tried every other way. Yeah. And I was like, okay, so that lines up the rejection sensitivity, the excelling and reading Shakespeare in like high school and the hyper-focusing with the autism spectrum disorder, like knowing, knowing every sonnet, you know, and with ADHD, having that ability to know so much about a topic, but at the same time struggle to maintain the Bs, which were good grades, but like I had to work really hard in math to get that B or C to keep to keep myself out of trouble in grade school. Um, so yeah, so it was, it was that, and just the, the inability to hold, uh, social interactions with people was another big thing that I noticed or being overstimulated. And I, you know, looking back, you know, with that 2020 vision is a lot of times I thought it was anxiety. It was actually overwhelm. Right. Yeah. It was just overwhelm. And that I think was the most, mind-boggling moment for me was is I'm like trying to count to 10 I'm trying to deep breathe I'm doing all which do help and I'm not knocking those things at all but now I know that sometimes I just need to remove whatever it is that's causing mm-hmm. the overwhelm yeah you know for me a lot of my depression diagnosis came through like inexplicable anger and, and sadness. Right. So I always sort of thought like I would have these outbursts of rage and anger and frustration, especially when I became a mom, um, and never making that connection that this was due to sensory overwhelm, right. Or just overwhelm, you know, and, and that I think is, was like, so it, like that would hindsight, it seems so obvious that I'm like, why would, would, did I not connect those dots? Right. But like, I look, it was really interesting to look back over my life and to think the reason why I felt like a depressed person was because I felt so inadequate all the time. Right. And so that inadequacy right. comes from 
feeling, you know, from being angry and, and feeling like I was disappointing other people, never really feeling authentically depressed, but always sort of feeling like a lot of my depression came from the fact that I felt like I was disappointing other people and that I wasn't the kind of person I should be quote unquote. And like, so that, and and a lot of that came from just the anger and frustration and the inability to like connect with people. And so, yeah, it was really interesting because so much of that emotional regulation, like you said, comes back to overwhelm and sensory issues. And I was like, wow, like, you know, if I had just had like a back to tank <laughs> in, my, in my childhood and teen years, like, you know, or in my month, you know, new motherhood yeah. years, if I had just had that sensory deprivation tank, it would have been oh, for those yeah. of you who aren't Star Wars fans. Um, you know, if I had had, if I had made that connection, oh my goodness, how different I think my, my life would have been. Um, and, and it's really like s- relatively simple in terms of that, you know, uh, it just seems so obvious, I guess, in hindsight, hindsight is twenty twenty, like they say. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the yeah. And that I, I can really relate to you saying like a lot of the depression was, was, you know, not feeling like enough or that inadequacy, you know, and, and mm-hmm. that, and that still like comes up. It's like, Oh, like I did, you know, with the ADHD, I'm like, I did like 5,000 things today but I still have 10,000 left to do. That's what it feels like. Yeah. And it's that, that, that time blindness is just like crazy. Like, you know, feeling like I've been doing stuff for like how many hours, uh, like feels like 14 hours some days. And I look, and I'm like, Oh, it's like been working for like four hours. Okay. Well right. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the, the intense expectations that we have on ourselves for so many reasons, you know, being bright and being capable and, and, um, I think, you know, leads to that sense of like always feeling like you should be able to do more. And then, yeah. And so that would lead me to kind of getting overwhelmed and getting really angry. And I remember like, you know, I, um, going back to like having babies because it was such a pivotal time in my life, but, you know, like getting really frustrated about things and my husband kind of stopping me and being like, are you okay? And those are those moments, right. When somebody, when you like have it mirrored back to you where somebody's like, you're not being normal right now. And then I would sort of stop and be like, oh God, you're right. I am. And then that spiral would start of like, oh, I'm a terrible person. What is wrong with me? I need to get help for the sake of everyone else. Right. Like it's so, it's so hard to articulate how complicated those thought processes are for us. Um, until we're, unless we're talking to each other. And that's why I love these conversations. Right. Cause you're like, oh my God. Yes. Yeah. I know. Like, yeah. Like listening to the, to your podcast. Cause I, I listen a lot. I, uh, part of what I do with my ADHD now is instead of giving myself a reward for doing something afterwards, I do it while I'm doing the thing. So I've been trying to ride an elliptical at home for like eight minutes at a time. So I just started, I listened to podcasts mm-hmm. and, and yours is one of the main ones I listen to actually. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's to hear the other women speak about these different things. And I just listened to the podcast because you guys were talking about sex and I was like, Oh, okay. Like, yeah, like she has like this, like the mindset. And I felt like that explained ADHD to me on all levels in my life. It's like, I have to have a good mindset or that task can just fall apart. Oh, right. Yeah. Like, yeah, you have to have, I have, I'm trying to use I statements. I have to have a good mindset or like the exercise won't happen or the charting won't happen like Mm -hmm. you know and 
um, the sensory overwhelm I have at work, sometimes between smells, sounds, um, having to mask a lot and have a really like not having a resting bitch face, but having this really empathetic face on for, for a couple hours at a time. It's just like, when I get home, I'm just like, Oh, I'm like, okay. And it's just that, that ADHD. I think, I don't know if it's, if it's ADHD, if you, if you've ever experienced it, or you don't even guess I've like, but that shut down that kind of happens after the overwhelm. Oh yeah. Especially more. when you come home to your safe space, right? Like just that exhalation. Um, and yeah, absolutely. Like needing, needing that sensory deprivation <laughs> to recover. And I think that's another thing too. I, I kind of always chronically underestimated how much recovery time I need from certain sensory overwhelm moments in my life. Um, and that's been something I've really, since my diagnosis, I've tried to put in a lot mm. more downtime than I ever thought I needed, like more rest, more quiet. You know, it always comes back to, for me. That's been huge because I always want to go and I always want to do more. And I always feel like there's got to be more time to do this stuff. And, and I really had to like force speed myself, uh, downtime. Mm. Yeah. I'd like to take a moment to thank BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. If you're a regular listener of this podcast, you know I am a big proponent of therapy. Therapy provides me the best opportunity for verbal processing, something that is so important for my kind of brain and my sense of self. What I love about BetterHelp is that it's not a crisis line, it's not self-help, it is professional therapy that's done securely online from the comfort of your home. They assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and it's available for clients worldwide, so you get access to a broad range of expertise that might not be available to you locally. It also tends to be more affordable than traditional offline therapy, and financial aid is available. If you visit their website and read their testimonials, there are actually quite a few reviews that specifically reference help with ADHD. As a special offer for listeners of the Women and ADHD podcast, you'll get 10% off your first month. Simply sign up at betterhelp.com slash womenADHD. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash womenADHD. And there's a link in the show notes. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Any other parents out there who have struggled to instill good financial habits into their kids? I know I have. And that's why I'm so excited to tell you about the sponsor of today's episode, Go Henry by Acorns, the smart debit card and app for kids 6 through 18. With Go Henry, kids can learn about money, set spending and saving goals, and even track chores and earn allowance money right within the app. They learn the value of money by using their Go Henry debit cards, while we as parents can set spend limits and help guide their journey while staying informed every step of the way. It gives me so much peace of mind to know that I'm using a smart tool to proactively teach my kids about money and prepare them for future success. Set your kids up for success and get started today at gohenry.com slash women ADHD. Again, that's gohenry.com slash women ADHD. TNCs apply, renews from $4.99 per month unless canceled. So how did you end up in nursing? So my big two questions are, how did you end up in yeah. nursing and how did you end up in Hawaii? <laughs> asking for a friend, uh, you know, because yeah, I mean, like no the worries. throes of winter in the Northeast and you're from the Northeast, oh. right? So, yes, yeah, yes, so, originally, yes. Uh, so you, you get it. So I'm like, how did you end up here? Uh, so I ended up in nursing. So my memory of it doesn't match my family's memory, which is the funniest part. And I think that's 88. 88 it's common. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. So I, I'm going to tell my version because that's who's here today. Um, my version is 
I was at community college and I saw nursing students in white in their white scrubs. And I had no idea that these were nursing students. So my, like, I just walked up to them. I was like, why are you wearing all white? No, hello. No, how are you? No, my name is, why are you wearing all white? And they're like, uh, we're nursing students. And then I was like, oh, and I had no idea what I was going to do. So I was like, that makes sense. I've always taken care of people. I've always been like that little nurturing person my whole life, taking care of others. So um, I went and got my associate's degree in nursing. And that was a little over 10. I've been nursing 10 years now. Um, And the funny thing is, I think I was reflecting on this yesterday. And I think that if I knew I was neurodiverse, I might not have chosen nursing. And I love it. I love nursing, but I'm also tired. So it's like, um, and nursing is really how I got to Hawaii. Um, I graduated nursing school and I never moved away from home, but I wanted to move to Australia because impulse. Why not? So my, my dad was like, ah, it's a little far, it's a little far. And my boyfriend at the time had a, a, a family member on Oahu. So we ended up going to Oahu. And then we moved to California where I met my husband and he, and I, when we were still dating, I said, I'm going back to Hawaii. I'm not necessarily, it's always just been home and the culture, um, the native culture is the indigenous culture is just beautiful and the people are beautiful and it's hard to live here. Um, but it's for us, it's worth it. So I moved back to Maui, um, about I think three or four coming up on four years now. Um, and I'm never leaving. I love it. Um, yeah. yeah. So I ended up here through a lot of traveling and through the blessing of nursing and being able to work in different states and and have a job. Oh, I'm very jealous, especially at this time of year. Uh, <laughs> I've been a few yes. times and it's just extraordinarily beautiful. I absolutely, it, oh my goodness. There's a peacefulness that you can't get anywhere else. No. And, and there's one, there's pretty much one or two ways to everything, which with my ADHD really helps with overwhelm. I just know like there's two ways to get to most places I need to go. And once I learn it, then driving becomes a lot easier. And so it's like Island life is very well suited, I think for my neurodiversity. Yeah. Um, That's really interesting. Has there been any other kind of revelations like that? Uh, I mean, like, our biggest, you can see our one six story building from like miles away. Cause everything's pretty small here. Like our, the, when the airplanes land in the middle of the old abandoned cane field, kind of like it looks, well, it's an airport, but surrounded by cane field. Um, but it's, you, the airplanes look huge cause there's nothing big. So for me, there's not a lot of sensory overwhelm here. So this, the lack of sensory overwhelm, the peacefulness at night, the friendliness of people and the slower pace so like if I need to take a minute to answer a question it's not like the east coast where like if you pause for like three seconds they're like come on did you want the bagel or not or whatever the case would be here they're like we just wait like we might get a solid 10 seconds to make a decision or even you know and it's it's it's, it's a relief um <laughs> Cause decision-making is hard. Oh, that's really cool. I never thought about that. Um, yeah. I mean, we, you know, we've talked about like really needing to be in nature and I really do yes. like, I loved living in a city. I grew up in a city and I loved living in New York city for, in my early thirties. Um, 
but I've been like kind of in a rural area for 10 years now. And I'm like, I hate going back to the city now. It's just like sensory death. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, so, it's too much. Um, and I just sort of attributed it to like getting old and, and, you know, getting used to the country, but it's so mm-hmm. fascinating to think about um, what, what works for our brains and what doesn't. So that was interesting about the driving. The nature too. You're right. You're right, right about the nature. That's, that's, that's huge. Like, especially here, you can do mountains, you can do beach the same day. You know, if I need to hug a tree, there's so many trees. If I need to go in the water, I can go in the water. Like that's, there's ways to ground everywhere. Yeah, I know. And I, I'm fascinated by the, you know, what it is about nature. I feel like I have lots of theories about like, um, you know, I'm not really a spiritual person, but I sort of feel like there's such a, there's a connection to nature that you don't get with other people. And I think maybe because so many of us have had like problematic, it's, it's probably communication Mm -hmm. is problematic when it comes to other people in our life for the most part. And there's something like very simple. Um, and you know, I was talking to my 10 year old son the other day, he was, he's such a deep soul. And he was talking about like, he's at that age where he's become very existential and he was talking about how it's troubling to him that he is not the same with everybody. That it's like, I'm one Mm. way with my teacher and I'm one way with my friends and I'm a different way with you. And like, nobody sees the whole me, but me. And, and I I could tell he was like, felt very isolated, right? Like you could see that that was like sort of fundamentally lonely. And, and, and I was, you know, part of me was like, yeah, it is kind of fundamentally lonely when you realize that. Um, But then we started having a conversation about masking, you know, and Mm -hmm. and what masking even is. And it was really fascinating to me. I don't know what nature, I think it was just that idea of like, there's something for me, I feel like my whole self when I'm in nature in a way Mm -hmm. uh, that's just very, peaceful you know like you just you feel sort of I feel like I am my true self when when I'm in in nature in that way but anyway uh, I want to hear more I want to talk more about nursing because I feel like it is such like you know like you said I feel like a lot of neurodivergent adults end up in caretaking roles right so like you said like nursing teaching uh it's social services like and it makes sense because like it makes sense that we have an abundance of empathy it makes sense that we um are bleeding hearts (laughs) but then there's also the like spinning plates theory right like you know you can be really at your best in high stress situations but at the same time like like you're chronically exhausted. And so then there's that burnout issue. So what, what has been your experience? Um, are you, you actually, I think when you wrote to me, you said that you felt like your ADHD makes you a successful nurse. So I wanted you to kind of elaborate on like what it is about your neurodivergency that has made you, you know, open up just sort of that choice of profession and, you know, what have been some of your, your insights into, um, burnout, especially. Yeah. And then we'll talk about your specialty. <laughs> okay. So for, so for nerd, I think that a lot of us are drawn. And since I've like come out of the neurodivergency closet, I've said I had ADHD to two nurses and they're like, Oh, me too. <laughs> so, like, and it's interesting because though, I think that, okay, so I'm going to try not to ramble. So the first question, well, okay. I gave you like so a think- three part question too. So <laughs> you, you have to kind of backtrack a bit. <laughs> So the, so the first part is kind of what, what draws to nursing. So for me, it's, it is that caregiving. Like I love 
I love helping. I love to help. Like not only, and it also gives my brain something really concrete, but yet creative to focus on. Like for example, like wound care, like I call it the arts and crafts of nursing. So there's a science to it and there's a method to it, but also how I put the bandage on might be different than how another nurse puts it on, but you'll get the same result because it's the same bandage. So it's, it allows my brain to hold on to facts to help me with the overwhelm that I experienced with nursing that now makes so much sense, <laughs> like never made sense. Like why, you know, and, and in transparency, I've never been a hospital nurse. I tried it for six months. It was too much. I've always been home health, administration, patient care, like, you know, one-on-one, like that's where I thrive um, mm. as a nurse or survive some days. So that's what I love about nursing. And I burned out in nursing hard, like a dying star collapsing in on itself, like five, about five, five, six years ago now at this point. Um, and I didn't know I was neurodivergent at the time. So I thought it was just that professional nursing burnout. I didn't realize it was autistic burnout. I didn't realize it was neuro, you know, ADHD burnout. I just thought it was just from work. Um, and I think a lot of neurodiverse folks do burn out because we do have that spinning plates. We do thrive in, in high intensity environments, but you're going to drop all the plates when you get home. And you're also not going to drop your patients. You're going to drop yourself before you drop your patients because especially in the home health arena is I, I am the nurse that's in the home with them. If, if they're having a hard day, I am the one person that's going to see them that day that then needs to advocate to the doctor, the therapist, my, my fellow staff members, like everything. So um, who are all very supportive, thank goodness. But, but at the same time, it just leads to burnout and our reserves are naturally lower as neurodiverse people. Mm-hmm. Like our, I think that our cups, we can fill our cups, but maybe our cups aren't as big. Like I might be working with like an eight ounce mug versus <laughs> another nurse that might be able to work with like a liter bottle. Like, you know, our, both our cups are full but I need to fill mine more frequently or, you know, or in smaller doses. I can't just do like that, that weekend spa thing and, and just dump a bunch of water. And, you know, like it's, I have to put a little bit in each day. I like that metaphor. Yeah. 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 So that's, that was that. And then I don't know if, if what other parts to your question. I apologize. So I think it was mostly, you know, what, what is it? Why do you think neurodivergent minds are so attracted to, caregiving and then kind of Mm -hmm. what it was you had you know what it was about your neurodivergency that makes you successful Uh, and and then and then my the third part was talking about burnout and like who takes care of the caretakers okay so let let me thank you for that that's so helpful so let me (laughs) let me go back to how my neurodivergence helps me in nursing um because I don't think I, I really touched on that enough um because if there's any other nurses that listen to this or any nurturers, anyone that cares for another being, whether it's a parental role or like a a job role, um, it's our empathy. It's our ability to think about the other person because especially if we know we're neurodiverse or know that we have challenges in any way in ourselves, we quite often have not received that grace of someone saying, well, you know, they're thinking about this differently. Let me try to see if I can think like they are. Um, So because we haven't had that grace in our life in the amount that we would have liked to have it, we're ready and willing and able 
you know, to give it to someone else. We're able to think outside the box, um, especially with the ADHD, like to just be like, all right, well, this is, you know, especially nursing, like this is the shit show I was handed today. How can I, how can I make this better? Um, and, and finding ways to do it that other people might not think of. Um, and then the other thing I think is just that we know what it's like to be a patient. Um, I have other physical illnesses. I have ovarian failure. I have different, which is like early menopause is the best way to explain it to our, to your listeners. So when I went through that process alongside having burnout all at the same time, um, I learned what it was like to be gaslit. I learned what it was like not to be listened to. I learned what it was like to just be thrown medication at and not having anyone that wanted to know why. And as a neurodiverse person, why is so important to me? Why is like, if I don't get told why, good luck having me do it. I need a why. Um, so I learned what that was like firsthand. And that completely changed my nursing practice. And I actually went back to get further education in holistic nursing um, and nurse coaching because I realized that education was only such a small piece of what I needed as a human and what these other humans needed. They needed a chance to find their own answers and their own health as defined by them. So, and I think being neurodiverse and having that experience is, is radically going to better your, your patient's outcomes. I, I wish they'd do a study on it, like mm. what the outcomes of neurodiverse patient, nurses patients have, because I really think that they'd be more holistic naturally. Yeah. You know, I feel like, um, when I was getting my uh, holistic health coaching certification, they called it the thumbtack syndrome. And, and I thought about it a lot when it comes to advocacy, just in general and in my own life, right? Like you, so many medical providers are interested in solving the outcome, uh, without looking at the why. And so it's like the, the, the example they give with the thumbtack is that you have a thumbtack in your ass and you go to your doctor and you're like, my ass hurts. Uh, and the doctor's like, well, here's medicine for your pain. And they don't think yeah. to ask what's causing the pain. And so you have, but you, so you, you know, it's one thing to take the medicine. It's just, it's another thing to actually get to the root of like what is causing it. And so I think like we are such puzzle solvers by nature. Right. So yeah, it mm -hmm. is really important to take in to, you know, I think naturally we want to know the why, like there's a source for everything and it's not enough to just be in pain management. Um, right. and I think, yeah, like you said, like so many of us as patients have experienced that kind of minimizing, um, and dismissing of, you know, a lot of our, our need for the why. And, and there's a sort of a sense of like, well, why can't you just be happy enough with the pain management <laughs> or whatever, you know, right. whatever the pill like is. Yeah. Right. Like, are you out of pain? Yeah, but there's still, but are you out of pain? Yeah. Like, like oh, right. Yeah. There's, there's still the thumbtack in my ass, doc. Like, can you <laughs> take that out? Like, I love that metaphor. I'm going to, can I use, can I borrow that? Absolutely. <laughs> I, I mean, that? I have Thank to credit you. it with, with the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, but I, yeah, I use it a lot. I use it all the time. And I think advocacy is so like, it's, it's something I think a lot of us struggle with and talk about. And it's certainly like an ongoing theme in my own life. And, you know, and then thinking about my children and like the accommodations that they need in school and, and, oh, yeah. and advocating for themselves. And, you know, I think it's, yeah, it's such a big topic, um, for all of us, but especially when wow. you have spent most of your life sort of feeling dismissed or feeling like who you fundamentally are is wrong. 
Uh, um, right. and, and, you know, like what works for you is wrong, even though it works for you, uh, <laughs> you know, and then having to like relearn methods that work for other people and then feeling like there's something wrong with us. Or I'm on my soapbox now. I'll, no, no, <laughs> you're fine. I mean? No, I mean, no, I, I hear you. And, and right. Like it's, it's all so connected. It is. And when you said accommodations, I actually just asked for accommodations and I had a relatively, relatively decent experience. And I just want to put it out there that if you are an adult and you want accommodations, it can be scary and it is opening a can of worms. But like for me, it's like, I just wanted to do it because I wanted to be a nurse that asked for help. Like, I just wanted to be one of those nurses that said, you know what? I need help. Yeah. Like this, this is, this is getting too much. I, this could be easier for me now that I know I'm neurodivergent. Now I really realize that I need accommodations. Like, cause I'm, you know, I'm, I'm working in a world that wasn't made on the same wavelength or operating system, you know? So it's like, can I have some accommodations please to deal with this? Um, and it's, it's really interesting because, you know, I know there's a nurse out there that's like, what can I get accommodations for? Like, it's nursing. You have to do what you have to do. Yeah, but it could be easier. Yeah. If there's a way, you know, and I'm glad it, that it your is. kids get accommodations too. That's wonderful. Um, well, it's something we're certainly, you know, a narrative we're constantly working on. Um, but I think, you know, like with nursing especially, I think it's just, it's one of those professions where it's like, you know, the it's considered... Uh, a virtue to not need help. Right. And so it's, yeah. it's really, it, it's a sign almost of weakness. It's a sign of inadequacy to need help in that profession. And so let's unpack that. Like you, so, okay. So you, when did you decide that you wanted to help other nurses? Cause that was obviously before your yeah. diagnosis, right? Yeah. That was three years ago. Um, about, I decided that even before that, but I started my coaching career officially like three years ago and founded Nourish the Nurturer because I felt so alone going through burnout. I felt ridiculously alone and I didn't want other nurses to go, go through that alone. I was like, there's, and I, I had a fight and I had to learn, I had to advocate and it was exhausting. Like I even said to my husband today that my healthcare is a, is a job. Like I do it lovingly, but to, but it is a job. Like <laughs> it's so I wanted to help nurses and take an active role in their life and, you know, be part of that job and maybe make it a little easier for them. Um, or not easier because it's hard. And that's like the one thing I always tell them is that this isn't a quick fix. This isn't, this is something that you're going to learn and learn how to do without me. Yeah. So you can keep doing it. Um, yeah. So I just decided to help nurses because I didn't, that's why I didn't want to be by themselves. And I was like, I might as well, all this hyper-focus and hyper-fixation I did on burnout, I could use it. I could do something with this. So I did. Yeah. I mean, not even just to say that, I think it's just the idea of like feeling seen is so important, right? And especially like in our own diagnosis journey, I think, you know, why these conversations are so important is to feel like we're not alone and to feel like what we are experiencing is to have that permission that, you know, what we're, what we've been experiencing is, is other people have gone through it and, you know, we're not, um, we're not fundamentally broken. 
Uh, and so even just that validation, right. To, to provide that validation to nurses and be like, yeah, you should, you know, it's normal to feel this way. It's normal to feel burnout. Look, you know, to mirror that sometimes you get so wrapped up in like, I should be able to do this. What's wrong with me that I can't do this. Sometimes you need the permission from somebody outside of yourself to be like, nobody can do this or nobody should do this. Right. Right. It's really the should. It's really the should. Because there's always going to be a nurse that can. Well, that's yeah. For a limited (laughs) amount of time. Not forever. And I think, and I think, and I think for, for nurses or people who are caregivers, even if they're caregiving for a family member, like this is what I do in a home nurse situation a lot is I look at, I look years down the road. Like, yeah, you're doing it now. But if I came to you in five years and you were doing the same thing at the same amount of energy, where would your health be? Where would your brain be? Where would your, your spirit be? You know, if you, if you believe in having spirit or just your emotional well-being, you know, where would that be? And a lot of times I'm like, oh, wow, probably not very good. <laughs> I'm like, probably not, you know, like, let's, let's, let's unpack this and see what we, what we can do with this to make it so you're not just surviving. Cause that's how I felt and how I still feel sometimes as a nurse is that I'm just surviving. Mm-hmm. And since getting my diagnosis, my therapy has completely changed. Like what I like, I'm doing skill building now, EMDR, like, like my therapist now understands why I logically won't understand, but why I sometimes won't enact what she tells me to do. You know, I don't have anyone shaking their head at me because I did talk to another psychiatrist about a year and a half before I was diagnosed about ADHD. And he's like, oh, well, I'll give you medicine. I was like, so I recoiled at that because I was like afraid. I was like, I just don't want to take something if I haven't even been evaluated just because, you know, I say I have it. So like that, yeah. So it's, and that's the thing with nurses too, is that there's just a lot of shame in being sick themselves yeah, or needing support. And I just, so that's kind of my passion project right now is, is neurodiversity and nursing is just, is, yeah, there's different brains in nursing, there's different abilities in nursing, there's different disabilities in nursing, and we shouldn't hurt ourselves to hide them. You can be disabled and be a nurse, you know, um, and I really think that, you know, especially with the pandemic and what it's done to nurses and what the administrations have done to nurses, I think it's about time that they got to take us as we are, not have us at all. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. It reminds me of that conversation I had had with Katie Osorius about like the, it's so much easier to just applaud people for being incredible. Oh, you work so hard. We, we can't do what you do. Like, you know, it's so much easier to create that narrative, especially for women and caretakers of, you know, Oh, you, what you do is so amazing. Thank you so much. Rather than actually providing a situation where they can have sustainable self-care, <laughs> you right. know, like just creating this idea of like, uh, you know, you're so amazing for being able to do all of these things, which then reinforces this idea that if you suddenly can't do all those things, then, you know, you become the problem. It makes it that much more difficult for you right. to come and ask for help because we've set up this system of, of, you know, the, your worth and your value is in holding up like the Encanto song that that's been moving everybody. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, that idea yeah. of like the yeah. pressure, right. And that yes. we've created, we create these situations of such intense pressure. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's, when is it, when is it gonna, I'm sorry, I just got the whole song in my head now. I know, I right? It's so moving, right? Like, yeah, like nonstop <laughs> for weeks. I don't even have kids and I've been like, that's all I've been listening to. I know. I, it really, I, focus right now. I, I, well, I love the fact that that song has struck a chord and I love that that yes. character, like I, I keep seeing posts oh, about yeah. how like they thought the really pretty girl with the flowers was going to be all of the like Disney marketing and they were going to have all, like all little girls were only going to want that character. And there's been such this huge demand for this big, strong, muscular woman and yeah. they can't, they don't have enough like uh, merchandise to yeah. meet up with the demand. I'm like, yes. Uh, I know. You know what's interesting though? The girl with the flower, I also identify with. Well, yeah. I mean, because all of those of archetypes, right? Right. Yeah. Cause yeah. the masking, she's like, especially her main song practice perfect. Pose. I'm like, hello. Like that's what I, that's what I did. Like I like drama so much. Cause I learned how to like, I learned, learned drama club because it was like, Oh, go be this person this afternoon like that was so easy for me they were like I know right yeah sorry I was completely one off topic I I, I know I'm like (laughs) I should have you I'll I'll have you back for an entire episode on Encanto and like familial archetypes and masking I know because it's like there is something really deep about that movie that has been has touched a chord with a lot of us we're like this isn't just a kid's movie um, and and cross-cultural too right like it's I think that's interesting about it too um all right well there's a PhD thesis somebody's writing right now yeah we'll let that go for now (laughs) when I was diagnosed with ADHD it completely turned my world upside down I looked back at so much of my life my grades in school my multiple careers and hobbies my friendships, my marriage, motherhood, my relationship with food or my body, like all of this with a new lens. And it was overwhelming to say the least. If you've been diagnosed with ADHD and you're feeling blown away by this new insight into your brain and how it operates, I totally understand. I can help you begin to sort through this chaos, explore who you are and how your brain operates so you can finally start to lean into your strengths and begin to use them to your advantage moving forward. Together, we can work to identify what obstacles you've been facing and create strategies to help you start living a more fulfilling, gratifying life. Head over to womeninadhd.com coaching to book a 30-minute initial consult with me so we can figure out if my brand of one-on-one coaching is right for you. Again, that's womeninadhd.com coaching, and you can find that link in the episode show notes. Hey friend, if there's one thing I've learned about ADHD over the last few years is that we can thrive with the right combination of accountability, planning, coaching, and peer support. Knowing all this, I set out to create the ultimate all-in-one coaching and accountability community for adults with ADHD or learning disabilities. I knew I couldn't do it alone, so I joined forces with one of my favorite ADHD coaches, Alex Gilbert of Capable Consulting, and together we launched the ADHD Lounge. The lounge was created as a safe place for neurodivergent adults away from other social media, where we offer live group calls, co-working and body doubling every weekday for accountability, focus, and skill development. We have weekly and monthly goal planning sessions to keep yourself on track. We also have one-on-one office hours with myself and Alex, and of course, friendship and lots of peer support. We have three different membership levels to meet you where you're at. So if you're looking for an affordable way to stay connected, productive, and accountable, while also having regular access to ADHD coaching and expertise, 
then make sure to come join me in the ADHDlounge.com. Again, that's the ADHDlounge.com. And as a listener of the Women in ADHD podcast, you can get 30% off your first month with the code PODCAST30. So head to the ADHDlounge.com and use the code PODCAST30 to get 30% off your first month. During the early days of my diagnosis, as I was deep into hyper-focus ADHD research mode, I kept searching for some kind of all-in-one, everything you ever needed to know about ADHD and women handbook that I could reference and keep at my fingertips, but I never really found anything that suited me. That's why I've taken everything I've learned about ADHD in women and adults who are socialized as girls, and I've gathered it into a concise, easy-to-access, self-guided, and self-paced course so you can feel like you've got everything you need at your fingertips. It's called, Hey, It's ADHD, and it has everything you need to start loving your brain and living a more fulfilling, gratifying life. I built this course to be helpful wherever you are on your ADHD journey. I am so excited to finally be able to offer this course, and I truly hope this will help you develop a deeper understanding of your ADHD brain and how to embrace it as you build yourself a toolkit for your own life. So head over to womenandadhd.com and click on the Hey, It's ADHD course tab for more information and to get started. So what, what does sustainable self-care look like? for your clients. I mean, you know, I, cause it's funny cause I've had coaching clients who are nurses and it's so, I mean, it's really, it's really ingrained in your psyche, uh, to be everything and to wait until you are at your absolute wits end before you ask for help. Right. And so before you even begin to like, think about the lifeline. So what, how do you, what does that look like when you start unpacking that with, with other nurses or care professionals? Yeah, we, so nurses tend to know the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which is like, you know, your basics, food, shelter, safety, physical, and then you work your way up to more like, you know, what people see as self-care is like spiritual growth. So we like, we start at the foundation. We start at like water, sleep. And they, they kind of look at me like, really, this is what I'm, this is what I'm paying you to teach me is to sleep and to drink water. I'm like, no, 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 this is not, this is. I'm teaching you to acknowledge you have a body and just like your patients require certain nutrition and hydration to survive. You do too. And that's, it's really easy, especially for neurodiverse nurses to get really caught up in their heads and, and what they're doing and taking care of people and forget that there's even discomfort in their body, not even feel it until they're done work or not even feel it until they've done three or four shifts in a row. So it's self-care for nurses really looks at breaking it down super simply and having support, like constant support from me because they're not going to do it. They're not going to do it. They're they're at, at the beginning. Like I, I, and that might sound pessimistic. How can I rephrase that? They want to do it. Everyone wants to take care of themselves. They feel like they can't because of what you said. It's ingrained in us not to ask for help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So self, yeah. So we start at the foundation of that. And then we look at the emotions that it brings up. Then we look at emotional health. And that's kind of when we look at journaling, unpacking, unpacking old behavior patterns, envisioning what we want our shifts to look like, envisioning what we would like work-life balance to be. So like, Creating an inspiration umbrella goal is huge. Like this big thing that you would like to cover your life is so important. And then from there, 
we we do the foundation and we work our way up to touching that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and I think self-care also for nurses, especially because we work so hard, is delegation at home. It's mm. much easier at first to ask for help at home with people that, you know, know you're on this self-care journey and, and probably want an aspect of their, their partner or their family member or their friend back. Because when nurses come to me, they're typically burned out. Mm-hmm. So when you burn out, you burn everything around you. You burn relationships, you burn your self-care, like everything's kind of ash. So you start asking for help from family members, like small things. Like when I get home, can I have five minutes in the car without talking to someone first? Or can you have a glass of water ready for me? Like I have them ask for very small things. So they just get used to asking. And then, oh, the biggest self-care for a nurse is a two-letter word. No. Uh. <laughs> so they ask for help and then they have to start saying no. Yeah. Well, Even I think it goes... Right. I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, which is like you start to if when you start to experience burnout, you feel like you are a disappointment to other people in your life. And that is what leads to it's just starts to like spiral in on itself. And that's what leads to the depression and the burnout and that feeling of just like feeling like you're inadequate. And and then I think so much of our depression and anxiety is wrapped up in that. Right. Like I have mm-hmm. disappointed others. Right. Yeah. And that, and that's the big thing too, for nurses is they just think that they are disappointing everyone. So they hide it and they bury it and, um, it just causes them more pain and distress and unhealthy coping mechanisms, um, that aren't sustainable, but ultimately hurting themselves is better than disappointing others. So that's the other thing with self-care is, is either, yeah, it's, you know, it's, And that's something I had to unlearn. And that's the piece that I tell nurses that you're going to default. You're going to go back to that. So it's self-care is about learning how to see it coming. So at least you can see it coming and learning to love that part of you and acknowledge it, but not give into it. Because I almost did it this week. There's like, there's always a huge need for nurses here. There's not enough of us anywhere, let alone in an island in the middle of the ocean. And I like found myself looking at my schedule. Where else can I put someone else? Can I put someone else? And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. No. Like this, yeah. So that's a big piece of self-care too, is knowing yourself. Ah, what an undertaking. Um, it, I know there's so much there to unpack. I'm curious. Now you had mentioned earlier um, that you had worked with, with patients with autism. And so it's mm-hmm. been really profound for you to kind of have to rethink what it looks like, you know, and, yeah. and, and how the face of it is changing. And I think that that's just on a bigger conversation too, of just like how the, uh, our understanding of neurodiversity is really changing the face of a lot of, um, a lot of these, uh, um, diagnoses. So I'm curious, like mm-hmm. what, what was your family's reaction to your diagnosis? So some of them are going to find out before this airs, uh- <laughs> Hey man, um, I'm the first one to admit I do not talk about it with anybody in my family for lots of reasons. So <laughs> no judgment there if you haven't even told anybody. I have, I have. Like my mom was kind of like, she was cool. Um, she pretty much was like, well, that's good, honey. Like I think, cause I, I framed it in a way of mom, I'm, my therapy is so different now. Like I'm getting all this help and I'm doing like building of skills and like, what's the duty today? And like, Cause I could tell the first time I told her when we were in person a couple months ago, it didn't quite click. It didn't quite fully land. 
um, because we had a lot going on. So I told her again, and then I told my one sister already, and she was like, oh, that's interesting. And I, and I gave her an example of how I used to kind of always stay in my bedroom and how it looked like I never wanted to be around everyone. And, you know, I was just a moody teenager when really that was, I was completely overwhelmed because they were a lot louder than I was. So mm-hmm. sensory, it was just too much for me to handle. So I just kind of retreated. And so, th- and then, you know, my brother was like, oh, okay. Like, what does that mean? Like, you know, my, my brother's like, everyone was really like, again, huge blessings. I know a lot of people's families are just like, uh, no, you're not. Right. You're just, we're just quirky. That's just who we are. Right. 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 And I, and I think, I think I might've gotten that depending on how I, I also know my family and from masking and from watching and observing so much, I know how to approach certain people kind of like how your son was saying, like his teacher sees one part. Like I even had that going on in my family um, my whole life. So it's like, I know how to approach them and how to make them understand. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where it is. And then ultimately like I explained it to my husband really well when I was seeking diagnosis, I said, I don't care if they diagnose me as a purple Oompa Loompa. I just want the right treatment. And I think that made him understand that I wasn't like looking for anything specific. I just was looking for the right help. And I think that's what I keep telling my family is all this is, is me getting the right help. I'll be 35 next month. And I'm just like, I feel like this is opening up a whole new section of my life. So um, just from getting the proper label or diagnoses. Mm, that's so beautifully said. Uh, and it's, uh, I really related to that, you know, that idea that like, I just want the answer, you know, like, I just want to feel like I found the right answer. <laughs> yeah. And and sometimes ADHD feels like the answer to so much that mm-hmm. then I start to question, like, am I just looking for an answer? Right. You know, have I just inserted this diagnosis into every one of life's mysteries? Cause sometimes it feels like at the end of every question that that acronym is the answer. I know. Yeah. And, and that, and that's hard, especially like, so my, my biggest fear actually is one of my old patients, families hearing this interview mm. and saying, you know, feeling a certain way about me having the same diagnosis as, as their child. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's, that's my biggest, I don't want to say fear, but like, yeah, fear, we'll go with fear. I think that's the correct emotion I feel. So yeah. But so but it is what it is. And that is my diagnosis. I wasn't not that, you know, self-identification isn't valid, but I mean, for me as a nurse, it meant a lot to go actually check that box for this reason. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, that's, I think the same way that we have to find that grace or we have naturally have that grace for our parents who didn't know, you know, we, we, there's a lot of grief there when we sort of think about how Mm -hmm. our lives could have been different if people had known and saw the signs, but at the end of the day, really like people did the best they could. And so I think most people are understanding about that when it comes to, you know, our, our learning curve. And, (laughs) and I think, you know, by expanding what, what neurodiversity looks like, I think it only benefits, you know, all families really to sort of, to be able to kind of show, um, the many, many faces to these what's happening. Um, so Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't think I I totally understand why you would feel that way. Uh, but I also feel like, you know, I can at least mirror back and say, you know, that, um, I'm sure most families would have absolute grace for, you know, 
yeah. how you move forward, right? It's, it's, mm-hmm. if you continue to keep your head in the sand, that's the issue. <laughs> um, okay. So really quick, would you, would you yes. rename ADHD to anything else? Oh God, I thought about this so much and I would love to rename it. Um, only because it's, it's so limiting. It is so limiting. Um, but I don't want it not to be a disorder. Right. I know. Yeah. I, I want the word disorder in whatever the name is, because if it, the big diagnostic criteria as it stands is that this impacts your life daily. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is important because that's what allows accommodations to happen. So even though I don't view it just as that, and I do see the gifts within, um, I never wanted to lose that punch. You know, my nurse brain is kind of like, I always wanted to be a, a dis, you know, deficit or disability because I want people to get the support they need. Right. And because healthcare is often based a lot around financial decisions, if it was no longer classified as such, what would not be covered? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I get it. I get it. I I don't have an answer for that. So I, I that's yeah. why I ask everybody else. <laughs> I, I like to call my brain, my spicy brain. Like sometimes I just say my brain's spicy. Um, but that's just my cute little catch phrase. I like it. It's my spicy brain. (laughs) Um, okay. So now nourish the nurturer. How how can people find you and, and work with you and what are some wonderful, um, ways people can connect? Yeah. So I'm on Instagram under nourish the nurturer and I'm also launching a, like subscription for nourish neurodiversity underneath of that umbrella. So you can, people can work with me one-on-one, but we're also going to start um, nourishing our neurodiversity and our differences within the medical professional or just women in general. I do predominantly work with women, um, but for male nurses or any gender identity, anyone's welcome. I'm LGBTQ plus friendly. Um, you know, I'm pansexual myself. So like I'm, I'm, I'm with that crew, yeah. with that uh, alphabet mafia. So it's like, <laughs> so, so yeah, so they can find me on Instagram, Facebook. Um, I do not have TikTok because that is just dopamine on tap. So I am not on that platform. Um, but yeah, Instagram is the best way to find me, Nourish the Nurturer. Um, and I'd love to connect with any listener that wants to learn how to better take care of themselves without the rules that they think they have to follow. Mm-hmm. Um, self-care has no rules and how to not wait until you are absolutely at your breaking point I think is something that, that we all need to actively learn yeah that it's okay to have asked for help it's okay to require help and um there's it's a judgment-free space for anyone of any ability level yeah so I'd lo- and I have I have openings so I'd love to hear from some people Oh, well, it's been such a joy hearing your story. And I love what you are doing for your fellow caretakers. I think it's such important work. And um, yeah, it's been really fascinating. I feel like I should go listen to Encanto again. (laughs) Uh, That's where I'm going right after this. (laughs) So yeah, so I was so great. I was so glad you reached out and thank you so much. Oh, thank you for everything that you do. And thank you for this time together. I really appreciate you. And there you have it. Thank you for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Women and ADHD podcast. Also, you know, we ADHDers crave feedback and I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener. If you're a fan of the podcast, please take a moment to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or Audible. 
And if that feels like too much and I get it, then just take a few seconds right now to give me a five-star rating or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this gift of neurodivergency. And they may still be struggling and don't even know why. And if you'd like to find out more about me and my one-on-one coaching for women with ADHD, head over to womenandadhd.com coaching. And you can always find that link in the show notes. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who discovered that she is not lazy or crazy or broken, but she has ADHD and she is now on the path to understanding her neurodiversity and finally using this gift to her advantage. Take care till then.